Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. This is usually when we would tell you about this month's book club pick, but we are actually taking the summer off from book club. However, do not worry. We still have a bunch of good bookish stuff for you, including this interview right now. Today's guest is Tom Parada. He is the author of a number of novels, including The Leftovers, Mrs. Fletcher, and Election. His new book is a follow-up to Election. It's called Tracy Flick Can't Win, and it follows the tenacious and ambitious Tracy Flick, whose life didn't turn out quite the way we may have expected. She is the assistant principal at a New Jersey high school, and she is hoping to become principal. That's where we'll leave it for now. Tom, welcome to Nerd App. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Greta. So your book election came out almost 25 years ago in 1998. In some ways, the world obviously has changed a lot since then, but in others, it's super similar. Is that partly why you wanted to go back to Tracy's story? Yeah, I mean, I think that I was actually really responding to the changes maybe more than than the similarities. And part of that... Um, you know, I hope I'm not jumping the gun here, but part of that was, um, you know, all the conversations around uh, Me Too and, mm-hmm. and this reckoning the country had four or five years ago um, with all kinds of um, male abuse from, you know, from rape all the way down to, you know, harassment on the job. And um, obviously election um told a story about that, but told it, I think, from a kind of early 90s perspective, which was early in that discussion, I think. And and I think the language we used and the um, ethical framework we used changed a lot over those years. And I did want to revisit the character. I think that's fascinating. And I think it's not jumping the gun at all. I mean, the first sentences of this new book reference the Me Too movement. And it did make me wonder, I mean, you know, an election kind of as you're sort of referring to, like Tracy is has this like very much sort of wise beyond her years, like almost kind of teenage temptress aspect of her, which obviously can feel a little problematic at this point. Do you feel like then you were sort of like this is part of your own reckoning about your portrayal of race of Tracy 25 years ago? Is that fair to say? I Yeah, I think I think there's some element of that. Um Temptress is a is a I, I understand why you say it. She's sometimes defiant about this relationship. Yeah. When she describes the relationship, um, it's clear that that you know she didn't seek out this teacher for an affair. This teacher kind of sought her out. You know, That's true. was sort of doing that thing where he is saying to her, you know, recognizing that she is exceptional, she is unusually mature, mm-hmm. um, she is too smart for these young boys 
in high school, you know, and, and I think we recognize that behavior now, you know, you might call it grooming. And, and mm-hmm. it, I, I, I do feel that even though Tracy is defiant in the book election um, and the movie election about the fact that she um, had this um, illicit relationship with her teacher, it, it turned out that, that it wasn't what she wanted. And, and I think there's a very poignant um and kind of a distressing scene in the book where she finally, you know, goes through with sleeping with the teacher. And it's, it, she immediately realizes that she's in over her head and this isn't what she wants. And, um, you know, she ends it. But I think, I think it's more the aftermath, more that Tracy is saying, you know, yeah, I did it. I wanted to do it. I did it. I also ended it because I didn't want to do it anymore. And so what? And she's she's like kind of claiming agency and denying victimhood in a way that I think was in the air in in the early 90s. You know, there was Mm -hmm. a kind of a sense that, well, women can make sexual mistakes just like men can. Now, of course, Tracy is not a woman. She's a 15 year old girl when, when this happens. But she herself is very invested in this idea that um She's very grown up and unusually mature for her age. And, and um, also, I think she doesn't want to think of herself as a victim because she is so ambitious and right. wants to be powerful in the world. And, and the victim um, identity doesn't feel right to her at the time. And so she just wants to keep moving forward and like conquering her world. And so she doesn't want this relationship to hold her back and she doesn't want shame to hold her back. And I think in this new book, she's middle-aged, somewhat disappointed high school assistant principal. And she is just beginning, I think, to reckon with what happened to her when she was younger and to see it as part of a pattern of men taking advantage of her or using their power at her expense. So this is a question that I did not, I haven't, I hadn't thought about it ahead of time. So forgive me if I kind of like stumble through this, but I find it really fascinating to think about you as a writer of, you know, several novels now who looks back at something you wrote decades ago and says, you know, this is, you know, maybe not, I don't know what word you would want. Like it definitely is part of a culture that doesn't feel current anymore, right? That, you know, has its problematic elements. I'm just so fascinated to hear more about like the process for you of kind of figuring out how to reconcile that, especially in a world where, you know, accountability culture, call it cancel culture can be so fraught at this moment in time. Yeah, it was so fascinating. I mean, I I do think Almost any man my age, um, any straight man my age, um, any straight white man your age, you know, <laughs> yeah, keep going. And, <laughs> you know, I had to kind of go back and think about just my, my own history and, and um, you know, but then part, you know, so there's the, the personal part of that, like inventory. And then for me, there was also this, um, you know, literary part of that inventory because I've been writing about transgressive sex um, has been like one of my repeated subjects. And um, so here's another way the world has changed. When I wrote Election, and I actually wrote it in the early 90s, it just took a while to get published. Um, It was my first uh, time writing women characters, uh, you know, putting them in the center of, of a narrative. I had written a couple books that were sort of 
focused on young men coming of age and and got me put into a kind of a box called Lad Lit. It was like me and Nick Hornby. And I, I thought, you know, I want to write this story and I want to write women characters who, you know, get to speak for themselves. And I knew that that was, at that time, it was, it felt more like a technical challenge to me. It didn't seem like a moral challenge. Like I didn't, it wasn't so much that I... Right. The question wasn't like, do you have the right? Right. To it was the question. Yeah, exactly. Do I have, it was more like, do I have the, the skill? Do I have the empathy? Um, and, you know, so when I wrote Tracy and, and Tammy, who was actually a bigger challenge to me because she was a lesbian, I, I was very nervous a- about that. Um, and I was so relieved when the book came out and then the movie and, and no one, I just, it was just a complaint that did not come up. People really loved these, these two, um, you know, teenage, uh, girl characters, women, young women characters, uh, you know, and not only that Tracy then became, you know, through Reese Witherspoon's performance, a kind of, um, you know, cultural archetype. So that for years and years, I've just had women come up to me and go like, I was a Tracy flick, but you know, one of the other things that changed, of course, around the time of Me Too was that that decision of mine to write from that perspective also suddenly became morally fraught in retrospect. Like, you know, do, did I have the right to talk about um, Tracy Flick's relationship with an abusive teacher? And... uh so I did, I went back with some trepidation and, and, um, you know, there were definitely things in election that made me cringe a little bit, you know, that made me feel like, oh, I probably wouldn't have done it this way now. But I did feel actually relieved, um, in the way that I had, you know, um, not, I, it's not good sex that Tracy has with this teacher. It's not something, um, that, you know, makes her feel sexually powerful. It doesn't feel right to her. In fact, it, it feels very wrong to her. And, and um, she does immediately put a stop to it. And, and um, I, I felt like in that sense, I had been at least successful in, in kind of empathizing with that part of the experience. Yeah, I mean, it's complicated. It's super complicated. One thing that so I actually watched Election uh, fairly recently. I think it was last summer we recapped it as part of our recap series that we did with Peter Segel. And partly it was so fascinating to see because Reese Witherspoon, as I mean, she's such an archetype. She's kind of iconic in that role as Tracy. Dear Lord Jesus, I do not often speak with you and ask for things, but now I really must insist that you help me win the election tomorrow because I deserve it and Paul Metzler doesn't, as you well know. I realize that it was your divine hand that disqualified Tammy Metzler. And now I'm asking that you go that one last mile and make sure to put me in office where I belong so that I may carry out your will on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. I mean, you know, she reminds me very much of like a uh, early Hillary Clinton sort of character, right? In terms of just like very striving. And I think also the other side of that coin where, you know, the question of likability really plays in. and. You know, I found her extremely delightful. I loved it all, even when she was obnoxious. Um, Peter, my co-host, didn't quite so much. But I was curious, like, do you think Tracy is likable? 
I, I will say um, that it was not a category that I, I um, use when I when I write. I, 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 sometimes I feel like most a lot of my characters are not particularly likable. <laughs> That's kind of the point. <laughs> I mean, I will tell you, in the in, when that movie came out, nobody said I found her <laughs> delightful. <laughs> I mean, she was seen as a really abrasive uh, character. I, I definitely heard people say she's scary. She's terrifying. Right. She's Machiavellian, you know. And you look back now and you go, wait, she's she's a 16-year-old girl who's trying to become president of her high school. And in a fit of anger, she rips some posters and then she lies about it. That, that's really all that, all that she does. And yet there was just this vituperation, you know, poured on her. And and I, you know, I kind of loved it as a writer. You know, it's just like, wow, how did how did that happen? And it's clearly you're just tapping into some vein of um, cultural fear. Right. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. Um, it's also interesting because I think if you picture election, the book or the movie, and then you think about, you know, like Tracy Flick fanfic, um, I, you know, I picture that she would have become the first woman president. That's obviously not the case in this new book. And it, I don't know, it struck me that I think a, the, a big theme of this new book is the idea, or maybe the contrast between youthful potential and an adult reality. I was wondering what you think makes that so narratively intriguing. Yeah, that that is, that's the question. And that was the question I really had to grapple with. You know, the movie ends in a different place than the book, right? In the book, she just goes off to college. And, um, you know, in the movie, we see her, she's in this, uh, an intern with a congressperson. And it just looks like she's marching to the top. That's how Mr. M sees it. But the alternative way to see it is, my God, this girl had to struggle so hard just to get elected president of her high school. You know, how hard is she going to have to struggle to, you know, advance in, in the world? And and this relates also to um, that thing I was telling you before, so many different people telling me, like I was Tracy Flick in high school, and they were not, you know, for the most part, people who were, you know, elected officials or partners in law firms. You know, they were teachers and librarians and, and stay-at-home moms and people who did, you know, just what you, you know, quote-unquote regular jobs. And, you know, it's that that lesson about success in a very competitive culture that, we all have to learn all the time. You know, it's like there are these people in your high school who are talented musicians and you just are sure like, oh, they're going to go and be famous because they're the best musicians in my town. But, you know, actually, <laughs> there's a best musician in every town. And, and it turns out that, you know, only a few of them are going to make it and the rest are going to kind of, you know, find their level in this very uh, competitive culture. And um, it just made a lot more sense to me that even this very ambitious, very smart, very talented woman um, wouldn't have all of her dreams come true. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It does, given all the battles that are out there. You know, I, it's amazing to me that there, you know, there still hasn't been a woman president. And this goes to, I think, your original question here about how so many things have stayed the same. Mm. I mean, you wouldn't think that Tracy would be kind of relevant in this way, you know, 20 years since the movie and really 30 years since I started writing the book. But Hillary Clinton's 
likability or supposed lack thereof, um, you know, kept a supremely qualified woman from, you know, getting what she deserved. More with Tom Parada in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So I'm curious, I mean, I think you kind of spoke to this, but I would love to unpack a little more what you think this book is saying about what success looks like. Because... You know, I think in a lot of instances, many of the characters that we're working with in this one don't necessarily get the outcomes that they were expecting in their lives. And and some have kind of come to peace with that to varying degrees. Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, uh, one thing I've learned, I've had a fair amount of success, you know, as a writer um, is, you know, there's never a moment, I think, when I'm at peace about that. I mean, there are moments when I feel good about it. Um but you're always like remembering the thing you didn't get or, you know, conscious of somebody got something you didn't, you know, it's just so hard in a competitive culture, I think, to look at oneself and just go, okay, I'm really happy with what I've achieved and and where I am. Because I think that the kind of ambition that helps people to get to a place of success um, also eats at them a little bit, no matter what they've achieved. And, and, you know, my, my, Favorite part of this book is this, there's a chapter where Tracy uh, sits down in her empty house at night and and tries to meditate. And it's something that she's trying to learn how to do. And I thought there's just something so funny about somebody so, you know, restless and full of nervous tension, you know, trying to meditate. And what happens when she meditates is that she kind of just takes an inventory of her whole life and and tries to explain why it is that she hasn't achieved what she wanted to achieve. And she's torn like a lot of middle-aged people between two verdicts. One verdict is you did the best you could, but her dreams were so big that there's this other measure by this other measurement, she's completely failed. And, and she's trying to find a way to just hold on to you did the best you could. You did okay. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. It makes me wonder how much we should all just be aiming a lot lower and then we would be happier. I, I You know what? I think that is um, a good point. You know, I think every, you know, I, I just saw somebody, some article about like dreaming big may not be a great, <laughs> great strategy. On the other hand, for, for most things that are hard, if you don't have a kind of delusional sense that you can actually achieve it, that you're the mm. one you probably won't be able to put in the commitment that it would take. And, um, you know, I, I, it's also led, you know, it's led to our crazy culture of college admissions and, and the, um, you know, uh, overscheduled, overstressed, 
um, you know, educational culture that makes kids miserable and, and turns them into little worker bees way before they should. You know, that's that's definitely our culture and there's something wrong with it. Um, it also does produce some extraordinary people and that's clearly a, a price that we're, we seem to be willing to pay, though I think there's much more rethinking of it lately. Yeah, I think so too. I don't know about you, but I feel like even just during the pandemic, it has completely shifted my relationship with work. You know, yeah, and I, I noticed my so my son um, just recently graduated college, and I've noticed that a lot of his friends seem a lot less sort of career driven than kids maybe ten years ago who got out of college. Interesting. Does that stress you out as a dad, or are you kind of like, well, good for y'all? Um, you know what? It doesn't stress me out. I actually think it's a good thing, and and um, it reminds me more of actually of the time. I got out of college in the in the mid '80s, but I still had kind of a a little bit of a residual hippie kind of attitude. <laughs> and it was before you know, it was just when rents in cities were getting really high. But but my friends could still go into New York City or or San Francisco and and get an apartment without having like a you know a high powered job. So is there any news on adaptation of this one that you can share with us? Um, well, the only news is, um, you know, I, uh, there, there are conversations going on and uh, between Alexander Payne and Reese Witherspoon and, and Paramount, because um, Paramount has the rights to the character Tracy Flick because they made oh, the wow. first movie. So it's not like a big competitive thing. So it's, I think everybody is, um, you know, wants to do it. I think it's just a matter of, um, you know, all those Hollywood uh, deal-making uh, stuff that, that is sort of happening out there. And I'm, I got my fingers crossed because I think it would be amazing. You know, she, Reese was young when she played Tracy and now, you know, she, she's, her life is obviously, <laughs> you know, continued on. Like, it just, to see the same character you know, I guess I guess Top Gun and Top Cruise and Top Gun is some version of that as well. But I think this would be, you know, uh, an, another version of that that would be more in the version in the realm of reality. You know, yeah, it's certainly something I would be more interested in watching anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think Tom Cruise is really interested in showing that you know he has not aged and that he is the right. same. You know, and and that's like a fantasy and that's what he traffics in. But I think this would be much more about. You know, what is it like to be a really ambitious young woman and to then find yourself in middle age grappling with uh, disappointment and but also feeling like there's still room to maybe to keep moving forward? Yeah, I love that. I think it's fascinating. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) You call Paramount and tell them. Yeah, yeah, I'll make it happen. No problem. Well, Tom, thank you so much for talking with me. This was a really great conversation. Oh, thanks, Greta. I really enjoyed it. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. We will have a summer reading roundup for you later on this month. In the meantime, we would love to hear about what you are excited to read. You can tell us by recording yourself on your phone and then emailing the audio file to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. 
Nerd Out Book Club is supported by Audible. You can find this book there. Get started by going to audible.com slash nerdette or text nerdette to 500-500. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Maggie Civit builds our newsletter every week. And Brendan Banaszak is our executive producer. We will see you on Friday. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.